It's great to be here this morning to share the word of God with you. And um, I'm a bit ner nervous, and, um, but at least I'll be reading some scriptures. So <laughs> even if what I say does not make any sense, take God's word with you. Amen. The logos and make it your own rhema. Okay, good. Um, today, the topic that I have for us is changed and growing in the gospel. Changed and growing in the gospel. So we heard an amazing um, uh, an exposition from Lyndon yesterday from Romans 4. Um, and he mentioned about gospel is about God. From God that is revealed in his son. God's love for us is revealed by sending his son to take upon our sin to be a propitiation. So just to begin with, uh, my primary text for today is Romans 8. But I'll be going through a bunch of text um, uh, from uh, Old Testament on. And I uh, just want to read kind of again to remind us about the gospel. Romans chapter 3 verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's an amazing text that we all hold on to, right? I, I'm sure you all, all remember the day you were born again. Uh, some of you may have it written on your Bible, the day you've committed your life to the Lord. Yes? Some of you who have grown up in the church, you just make up a date because everybody keeps asking you, you know, we, when did you go? And then you just say, okay, somewhere along the way, you know, uh, where you were serious, you make up a date. Uh, that's what I do. So don't ask me for a date. But when we look at this amazing moment of, of salvation or justification that we have received, uh, that is an, a momentary occasion. And then the next momentary occasion that we look forward to is this already but not yet. Right? The glorious hope when the second coming of Jesus uh, is. Um, but then there is this gap, what I call the gospel gap. Many times we just really don't know what to do in between, right? We're born again, we're saved by grace, we're excited, we praise God, we sing songs about it, and then we're excited to go to heaven, to be with Jesus. But this gospel gap in between, um, we all kind of interpret the scripture and live our lives uh, in this gap, the way we are taught. And many theologies teach us uh, different ways to live in that gap. Two negative aspects that we see in this is, many times once people are saved, they alienate, alienate themselves from the culture and from the world. And they, they gather this holy huddle and somehow stick to each other so that you're not stained by the world, 
right? You just somehow gather in the four walls of the church, don't make any friends, don't talk to anybody, but somehow wait for the second coming, right? We know people who do that, you know, and sometimes some of us feel like doing that when you hear crazy bad stories out in the world. But then the other extreme is to assimilate into the world where we take this grace as a license and then you just go on and live your life as if nothing matters because you're saved, right? So you can just do whatever you want, but you are justified, you're clothed with Christ's righteousness, nothing you're going to do is going to make any change, so just enjoy your life. So these are the two extremes we see, but there is something else in regards to being changed and the growing in the gospel that we we see in this gap. So one thing I would like to do is just primarily look through a few scriptures uh, to understand what is this gap? What is our calling? What is our purpose in this gap? But before that, I would like to just really kind of scan through Genesis on to see God's heart for people. Because if we do not understand that, it's really hard to understand not only the gospel, but our purpose in this gap and looking forward to the glorious future. We see in the beginning, God created uh, all things. He considered it very, very good. And then God created man. This is in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. We see in the beginning itself in man's creation, we were created as representatives of God on this earth to bear the image. If you look into the ancient uh, text and scholarly writing, especially for the chapter one, many of them say God created man almost like an idol because even the formation of man was like how people would create idol with dust, right? And form shape. But this idol was breathed life into it to represent God himself on the earth, to be viceroys or vice regents of God on this earth. It is very important to understand the beginning itself in the formation of, God, of, of human being and the design of human beings and the purpose of human beings. God wanted to create man and woman in his image. And then he goes on and gives the commission. So there's a design, there's a purpose, and then there's a commission to go be fruitful and multiply. So when we talk about this faith, this faith was the, the glue that God initiated in the design and the commission. So that even in the beginning itself, sometimes we think faith is for just salvation, but even in the design of human beings, Faith was what was entrusted to man. Because you don't entrust something to somebody without faith. God showing faith in human beings. We know after disobedience, where people willingly broke that faith and trust. We see in Genesis 3.8, God comes and reaches out to man. Part of that scripture shows us the pattern of how God spent time with Adam and Eve. In the, e in the evening, in the cool of the day, the, Adam and Eve recognized the voice of God. 
even though this was not going to be a good occasion, but Adam and Eve knew God. There was a relationship, there was an intimacy, there was a, 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 a great connection here. But then I love this, this sentence because after man's disobedience, God's first word was not, I'm cursing you. But the first sentence was, Adam and Eve, where are you? Isn't it great a God, even though something drastic has happened in this world, forever things have changed. There's a gap between man and God. God's question is, why did you do it? Which I like asking my kids, right? You want to know the reason for why you did something wrong. But rather, where are you? Where are you from me? And then again, uh, something very interesting in Genesis is where Adam and Eve clothed themselves with fig leaves. And again, this is some scholars believe to be a, a foreshadow of Jesus because the first sacrifice was done by God himself. Where did you think he got the animal skin? Right? To sacrifice an animal and clothe them with animal skin. Something a bit more protective. And isn't it great that that first sacrifice also points us to a great sacrifice where through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice, his righteousness is clothed upon us. Something that is permanent. Something that does not can be removed. So we see this, this pattern of intimate relationship with God. And God's pursuit towards mankind. Even though this sin, this, this is going to have such an impact in the world. It cannot be just forgotten. It cannot just be just you know, you know, swept in under the carpet. There's a significant price that will have to be paid for this disobedience. But you see a God reaching out to man and woman. A God who's reaching out to mankind. However, this sin causes and, and leads mankind into a posture of shame and condemnation. This is something that we see that, 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 that is carried on through coming of Jesus Christ. But even in the waiting of Jesus Christ, we see one phrase that is constantly repeated here in the scriptures. When you look at Genesis 17, 7, Exodus 6, 7, uh, Ezekiel 34, 30, uh, 24, Ezekiel 36, 28, Jeremiah 30, 22, God has this phrase that you shall be my people and I your God. Right? A covenant-making God who keeps coming back even in, even in breaking it, even in uh, destroying the covenant. God stays faithful to his unconditional promise. And his, his words cry out through the Old Testament. You shall be my people, and 
I, your God. We see God's redemptive plan is continuously unfold. When prophets speak of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, 3-5, we, we see where it talks about the, the Messiah will face rejection and suffering and he would be punished so that he would receive peace, that we would receive peace and complete healing. In Ezekiel 36, 25, the other aspect of our salvation or this growing in faith or gospel it says, I will sprinkle water and cleanse you. There's that aspect of justification. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. And verse 36 says, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places, replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. We see this foreshadowing even in, through the prophets for giving hope to the people that Christ will be the ultimate healer. But then not only through him that people will be justified, but a new spirit will be given. And that is one aspect I would like to keep touching today when we talk about growing, uh, changed by the gospel and growing in the gospel, this life in the spirit. Because without the work of the spirit in us, we cannot live out this gospel gap. Yes, we are thankful for the salvation but to live out this salvation, to, to live out this purpose in this world, to have that intimacy with Christ, to live out his purpose in this world, we need a new heart and a new spirit. And it is only through that we will be able to rebuild the desolate places. That is one of the prophetic words we've been hearing from the first day on, the call to the healing of the land. And my friends, in this coming days, the need for the Holy Spirit, the recognition of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is necessary to live out a purposeful life, especially in India in the coming days, because what we can do through flesh will fail. But what we can do through spirit will have life. And that is what we see primarily in Romans 8. And just a background of Romans. After the birth, teaching, and demonstration of the kingdom, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, we see this, this man who gets radically encountered by Jesus, who begins to do this amazing missionary work. And he longs to go to Rome. He's Jewish, but he's a Roman citizen. And this is like his lifelong dream to go to Rome. But before going to Rome, he wanted to make sure he write to them a full statement of the gospel that he understood and that he proclaimed. Imagine before call, you know, being called as a guest speaker, you may have to write like a book of Romans, <laughs> right? To show that what you believe. Right? That's what Paul did. Paul wrote to the church in Romans 
this great full statement of faith, one of the most fullest statement of faith, to tell them why he is an apostle, what he believed, because there was also some people who, who talked bad about him, who was kind of challenging his apostolship. So he had to write something uh, uh, that really conveys the message, the full message of the gospel. When we compare that message to our vision and values, you know, our paper is like two pages <laughs> with three points, right? There's so much work for us to do. <clears throat> Let's go into Romans chapter 8. Here, Romans chapter 8 begins with a great exclamation of the victory that comes. There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. My friends, this is a great exclamation. Right? The condemnation that human beings carried from the moment of falling to sin, now Paul is saying is lifted up. Right? That condemnation, there is no more condemnation. There is nothing that weighs on you anymore. But this is right after Paul speaking very authentically about himself. Yesterday, Samir did a great job of, about authentic leadership, right? And here, Paul is becoming very authentic in chapter 7. Let's read it quickly to see what he says. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I now know, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is why my flesh, that is, my, my, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability to carry, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do good I want, but the evil I do not want is what, I'm, what I keep on doing. See, very authentic, right? It says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. If somebody came to our church saying this, what would we do? We would send him to a leadership conference. <laughs> right? I have the desire to do it, but I don't know how to do it. Right? But Paul sees something more. He sees that, that his flesh fails, the law fails, See, one of the things about, this is one of the biggest misunderstanding of law, which Paul covers in chapter 7. Because many times we think law is bad. Right? But in 7, Paul clearly says law is good. But for the purpose it is given, it is good. It is supposed to show us between the right and wrong. It is supposed to show God's righteousness before us. But it is not a tool to save us. But it is a tool 
that helps us to look at yourself and to put your faith in God. That was God's intention from the beginning of giving of the law. Right? That people would see how messed up they are and how incapable they are and put their faith in God. But they found a different way. God gave us the law. Let's now figure out how to live this out and how to put our faith in this so that we can please God. See, that is where they got completely wrong. Sometimes we, you know, I used to wonder when I was a child, you know, you talk about God giving law, then but what, why would God give law if he thought it was bad for people? It didn't make any sense. But Romans just opens up your mind to see that law was good. But for the intention it was given, they should have looked at it, looked at themselves, and looked to God in faith. And that is what many of the prophets did. Like Isaiah. So seeing their incapacity... Paul now brings this amazing chapter 8. See, this chapter 8 that that starts with therefore is not just a a therefore for chapter 7, but it's a therefore for chapter 3 on, because he's talking about the righteousness. So it has an immediate connection to the in, in, the, how law is good and how incapable we are, but it is also a connection to the righteousness that we have received in Christ Jesus. And this is how we can overcome it, right? This is one of the peak, like if you see Romans like a triangle, eight is the peak of Paul's communication to them of how they could live a victorious life. It says, now there is no condemnation for Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Right? So the changed part is now we are saved from condemnation and now we are freed to live a life in Christ Jesus. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son. What we couldn't do. God sent his son by sending him. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, I want to read out, especially what we see in chapter 8, some of the, uh, the, the, the implications of the work of the Spirit. In verse 4, it says, call to walk according to the Spirit. In verse 11, it says, give life to the mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. See, before, when you followed the law, your body was dead, you were incapable, you had a desire, but you could not follow it through. 
but it says through through spirit gives life to mortal bodies through the, who dwells in you verse 15 spirit bears witness with with our spirit that we are children of god so it's not just a knowledge but it is a work of the spirit that is in us that confirms that affirms that seals who we are as children of god my friends sometimes it is an intellectual practice that we do rather than letting the spirit of god affirm our identity in christ because when we face challenges when we face deaths and suffering and persecution that is the moment where the affirmation of the spirit is that would will keep you as a child of god but verse 15 it's a very uh, interesting verse for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into the fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if we are ch- if we are children then we are heirs of god fellow heirs with christ and then he kind of tucks in something very sneak sneakily it says provided provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him he doesn't take much time on that verse right he talks about this identity how uh, how um, we can also call abba father and and the spirit bears witness with our spirit we can be called children we are heirs of god great provided we may also suffer with him that we may also be glorified my friends that is a part where this life in the spirit and the life in the spirit provided this life of suffering that leads to glorification is the call of the gospel gap verse 26 it says helps in our weakness spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god when we do not have words in times of suffering in problems sometimes just a breath just a sigh just a groaning is enough because the spirit knows what is in your heart spirit knows what is the will of god and how he can accomplish this in our life verse 28 all of this to make things ho- hope together for good hold together for good and verse 29 the good verse 29 it says for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son my friends all of this 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 walk with the spirit to be, to set your mind in the spirit to affirm that that you are a child of god is all pointed towards us conforming to the image of his son my friends that was god's heart from the beginning in designing us he created us in the image of god sin marred the image of christ in us but now the holy spirit has come the holy spirit is sent so that 
through all of this, through what we read right now, through all of the verses today, all will culminate in the conforming of our lives into the image of His Son. This is only, can, this can only be done by the work of the Spirit. How our lives can be conformed to the image of His Son. My friends, there is a scary verse in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus talks to some people who have cast out demons, who have done so much of miraculous stuff, right? And to them, Jesus says, I do not know you. So when we talk about the spirit, many times our mind quickly goes into the manifestation of the spirit, right? How can the spirit help us in grow the church? How can we see healing take place? Demonic activities go away, right? Prophecies come. I know we are a, a movement that is uh, in operation of the gifts of the spirit. There is nothing wrong with that. We need more of that. But at times, we forget the work of the Spirit that works in us, that conforms us to the image of Christ. And at times when our focus is so much on the operation of the gifts, at times we become not recognizable for Jesus. Yes, we are clothed in His righteousness. I'm not getting into the theology of are you saved or always saved. You figure it out. But I want to be known by Jesus. I want my life to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is the call in this gospel gap. When we look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 12 to 14, we see these, um, uh, Paul's writing to uh, other uh, churches where he keeps bringing this aspect in Ephesians. four twelve to 14. Or 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and in deceitfulness and shames. In 2 Corinthians or in Galatians, Chapter 4, verses 19, it says, My little children, for I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Second Corinthians also talk about in 3.18, talks about this call to see the image of Son conformed in us. My friends, the image of Christ is the ultimate reality of human wholeness. 
the consummation of which each heart longs for in the second coming. You may wonder, if, if Emmanuel, if you're talking so much about conforming to the image of his son, what about missions and church planting and all of that? My friends, my proposal is that we consider it at, as an outflow of our transformation. Because in these days when there is persecution, there is challenges, when there is sufferings, then many things goes on. The only thing that can keep us going is affirmation as a child of God. And us being conformed to the image of the Son. Because if that is not in, our, in ourselves, in, in, in who I am, when there is opportunity for love, opportunity for grace, which is a nice way of saying kind of sufferings. <laughs> opportunity to give up your life. Opportunity to give up yourself, your family members, your house, your wealth. Only a person who is conformed to the image of the Son will be able to give freely. My friends, the work of transformation primarily happened during our, our sufferings as we read in Romans chapter 5 and as we heard yesterday evening also, James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Because it is only through walk of suffering that we welcome the Spirit of God to conform His image in us as we surrender our selfishness before God. This transformative work produces bolder and credible messages of the gospel to the world. My friends, people want Jesus, but not sometimes what we bring along with it, what our attitude, our way of doing things. People are always attracted to Jesus. Only religious people are not. Because it shows who they are. But rest of the world wants Jesus. Because we're not just talking about Jesus, but we are letting the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus work in us constantly. And that itself becomes a witness of His gospel in us. Did you hear that point? The work of transformation in us becomes a witness to the world. My friends, there is no powerful message other than that. Our goal in life, our greatest goal in life, to be conformed to the image of His Son through the Spirit of God. My friends, many times when we come, I'm, I know we're talking to leaders, when we become leaders or when we get saved, many times what we end up is doing, we clean up ourselves. We know the gospel. We know we're justified. We know the spirit of God dwells in me. But rather than setting our mind on the spirit, allowing the spirit to work, we end up 
going away from some wrongdoings that the church people should not do and enter into other habits where the same sin is playing in a different activity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I don't believe any of our temptation will be, you know, adultery or, you know, things like that. We try to clean up ourselves. But our problems will be anger or overbearing, dominance in our board meeting, <laughs> in our leadership meeting, in our correction. Because we, we, we end up cleaning up ourselves because we cannot do those things here. Pastor will tell you, this, this cannot work here. And many times we end up carrying out the same sin with a different clothing. And many times we control ourselves. We control the transformation itself rather than setting our minds on the spirit of God and say, you search my heart. You reveal the things in me that I don't even want to know. That I may not even know that is in me but is constantly coming out of me. My friends, I just want to close with a, a story that I'm going through. Recent, in the last one year, as a family, we're going through a difficult time. And, and in some way, I've been carrying many different roles uh, of leadership. And in some way, what I did not recognize that a lot of things are being spilled over to my wonderful wife, Allison. Right? And there was a point where she could not carry it anymore forward. And because of that, I had to stop doing a lot of different things. And that is when I started sitting. And I would sit and wonder, God, what am I doing? Is this how a man should lead? Because Allison should be caring for everything, but I should be the one who's leading. Is this how sacrificial life look like? By sitting down and not doing? And God started me to teach what it means to be and let the Holy Spirit, because He was beginning to show so many things in my life that I could not let go. And I said, God, this feels so uncomfortable. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what, what I'm feeling. And the Spirit of God said, I'm teaching you humility. And I always thought I was a very humble person. Because <laughs> everybody told me, I'm very humble, you know. And but inside of me, God revealed this. And guess what? I, I just tried this, was in this spirit moment for only like one day. <laughs> and then Spirit of God said something very clear to me. 
do you know Allison has been doing this for 10 years? My friends, the work of the Spirit of God in us is to transform us and conform us to the image of His Son. And I don't have time, I have to stop, but as the Israelites did with law, I feel like many times we do things with ministry. Where our faith is so much focused on ministry rather than our faith is focused on Him. And out of that outflow, our ministry flows. My friends, that is the gospel gap. That is where He begins to do his work so that Jesus will say to us I know you you are faithful with what I've entrusted you Jesus is not looking for successful leaders he's looking for faithful leaders can we close our eyes for a moment And just welcome the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. I've seen amazing work of you in action. But I want your work to take place in my heart. So that my life would conform to the image of His Son. And that will live a life for the sake of others. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. Yes, Jesus, that is our prayer. Amen.